on March the 15th in 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated in Rome. A group of politicians thought, and thought for a good reason, that Caesar was going to attempt to make himself king, an idea that had been opposed by most of them for hundreds of years. And most of us know about this event, not because we study history, but because of Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. And some of you may recall from that play, whether you were in the play or read the play or have seen it in some setting, you may recall the scene where after the murder, the leading accomplice, Marcus Brutus, steps forward and explains to the crowd why this had to happen for the good of the state, why Caesar had to die. And he speaks in flat, simple prose. His sentences are, are, are kind of plodding. They kind of move along slowly and carefully. And the crowd seems to be convinced more or less, but there's no real excitement. There's no real enthusiasm. And then a very different person steps forward, Mark Antony. He's a friend of Caesar. And he says to the crowd that he has come to bury his friend, not to praise him. And he isn't trying to stand against what Brutus and some of his accomplices have done, accomplices have done but instead he's come to do what's right for his friend. And then in the language of Shakespeare, Antony's speech moves the crowd. It's, it's poetry. His words dance with them and entice them. And Antony knows exactly what he's doing. And even while he's doing it, he'll say, I'm no orator as Brutus is, knowing all along that there's no way Brutus could ever move the crowd like this. And by the end of the speech, not only is the crowd accepting of what has happened, but they are willing to do anything that Antony asks or suggests of them. It's the turning point in the play, and quite frankly, it's a huge turning point in the history of Rome. There are two moments in the writings of the Apostle Paul where Paul uses the same technique, takes the same approach that Antony does. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul creates this upside down list of all of his accomplish accomplishments by simply lifting off, listing off all of his failures. It is absolutely brilliant, it is passionate, and it is incredibly effective. And the second time the Apostle Paul uses this technique is in our text for today. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's our third Sunday of Lent, and it's the final session for the weekend for our students. And it's about the gospel being unfiltered. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul will compare the, the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. When Paul arrives in a city that's so proud of their intellectual awareness and their education, he's going to stand up and he's going to give them the message of who Jesus is and what happened to Jesus of Nazareth, that he was crucified by the Romans, and that he was raised from the dead three days later, that he is now Lord of all creation, even though they can't see him in the flesh. And he calls people to faithful living and a faithful response to the gospel. And Paul also knew what people would think. This is madness. 
This is, this is not some new insightful philosophy that they were expecting. This is the craziest message any of them have ever heard before. This is the news of an executed criminal from a reviled and despised race of people. And Paul will even use the word scandal as a way of describing it. So hear from God's word this morning, the gospel unfiltered. The word of the cross, you see, is madness to people who are being destroyed. But to us, to those who are being saved, it is God's power. This is what the Bible says, after all. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the shrewdness of the clever I'll abolish. Who is the wise person? Who is the educated person? Who is the debater of this present age? Don't you see that God has turned the world's wisdom into folly? And this is how it happened. In God's wisdom, the world didn't know God through wisdom. So it gave God pleasure through the folly of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews look for signs, you see, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we announce the crucified Messiah, a scandal to Jews and folly to Greeks, but to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, the Messiah, God's power and wisdom. God's folly is wiser than humans, you see, and God's weakness is stronger than humans. And may God give us wisdom this morning. I don't think Paul is against wisdom. It's where we're getting our wisdom and what kind of wisdom that is. And, and those phrases that are used, uh, those who are being destroyed and, and those who are being saved, almost as if, well, it's a process. And then words like scandal and folly. But I have to admit, it, it usually doesn't feel that way to me. It doesn't seem like folly, and it certainly doesn't feel like a scandal to me. So what am I missing? What am I not getting? So in a few minutes, let's find out. The gospel unfiltered. Will you hear the words of the Apostle Paul one more time? The word of the cross, you see, is madness to people who are being destroyed. But to us, to those who are being saved, it is God's power. This is what the Bible says, after all. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the shrewdness of the clever. I'll abolish. Who is the wise person? And where is the educated person? Where is the debater of this present age? Don't you see that God has turned the world's wisdom into folly. And this is how it happened. In God's wisdom, the world didn't know God through wisdom. So it gave God pleasure through the folly of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews look for signs, you see, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we announce the crucified Messiah, a scandal to Jews and folly to Greeks. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, the Messiah. God's power and wisdom, God's folly is wiser than humans, you see, and God's weakness 
is stronger than humans. So let's step back for just a moment and let's consider for, the, for just a few moments the, the big picture. What is Paul saying in these words where he goes, oh, no, no, more, no more wisdom, no more tricks, uh, no more fancy talk. Let me just say this is what it's all about. The entire message comes down to this. We need help and we cannot do this alone. And we often look at passages like this or others that we find, whether they're in the Gospels or in the writings of Paul, and, and we think this is, this is what the people out there need to be reminded of. We need to find a way to share with them and to let them know, and part of what Tim was urging us to do earlier, we need to find a way to share with them the good news of who Jesus is, what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true, and for just a moment, I want you rather to turn the image inside because Paul is writing to the church. These words are written to people who have said yes. And and why does he need to remind them? Because they too are on this journey. We too are still on this journey and we need to be reminded we cannot do this alone. And, and, and just because we walk down the aisle one day, which is a very important moment in my life, just because I had this incredible experience where the pastor baptized me, which was a, a turning event in my life, I need to be reminded I, I cannot do this alone. Whether it's the gifts that God has given to me, the work that God has placed in my path, the the people God has brought into my lives, the the people who give to me and feed me and, and love on me, or on the other hand, the people that come into my life who need help, who need forgiveness, who need grace, who need someone to pour into them just like someone else has poured into me. And the church from time to time needs to be reminded, you can't just keep pointing your fingers at other people who need Christ from time to time as the Paul as the Apostle Paul writes here we need to be reminded we can't do this on our own and it is by grace alone so we live it again and we breathe it again we breathe it into ourselves we embrace that grace once again even as we are sitting here in worship together. So, yes, there's, there's the big picture in this that we need to be reminded of today. There's another part of this. Uh, people. Let me back up just a moment to that first one. Uh, those who are being destroyed, people. But to us, those who are being saved. In addition to the big picture, let's remind ourselves of who we are and where we are. And and even as Gracie just reminded us in that incredible song on this, we're on this journey. When the Apostle Paul writes and describes people who are not embracing this message, he describes them as people who are being destroyed. And when he describes those who have embraced this message to us, those who are being saved, he uses a very specific verb tense. He uses in Greek a present participle. And one of the first things we teach students when they're learning to translate Greek when they get to participles is a present participle is emphasizing continuous action. 
There are a lot of other ways he could express this. If he did not want to express the continuous action, there's a verb tense that he could use that just, it just states something happened and you don't have to worry about if it was continuous or past. He very specifically chooses this to say, there's a process involved, or in other words, there's a journey we are all on. And there are people who are hearing this message about the cross, and it just seems like madness to them, and they are being destroyed. And there are people who are hearing this message of the cross, and there's something in their life, there's something that's happened, and they are opening themselves up to this, and they are being saved. And in both instances, he reminds them this is a process, which means two things. Number one, don't give up. Don't give up on that person who has said no. You can't give up on that loved one. You can't give up on that child. You can't give up on that parent. You can't give up on that coworker. You are not God and you do not know the future and there is no reason. It is arrogant for you to give up hope for those individuals because they are in a process as well and it is continuous action in their life and you don't know what God is going to do this next week. You don't know what's going to happen to them. You don't know who God is going to bring into their lives. You don't know what circumstances may shake them, rattle them, love them, break them, mold them. You cannot give up just because someone you love has said no and they are being destroyed. There's something there that's scary. There's something there that shakes us, but at the same time, let's embrace the continuous action that's there. On the other side, there's a little bit of a warning, the Apostle Paul says, to those who are being saved. You can't settle back. You can't stop. We're still being formed. We're still being transformed. We're still growing. There are still events that are taking place in our life. There's still people God's bringing into our lives. There's still some maturity to take place. There's still growth to take place. There's still learning to take place. You are being saved, and he intentionally uses a process there as well. You're being delivered, but this life isn't over yet, and your choices aren't over yet, and the circumstances in your life are not over yet. So let's all take a deep breath and not give up on other people, and let's not settle back and stop ourselves. There's a third one. There seems there are there's an emotional response here. I, I don't know any other way to say it. There's, there are big words that he uses, these images that are used to describe how, how people are responding, madness and, and folly and scandal. The Greek word is scandalon. It's, it's a stumbling block. It's what you trip over in the middle of the night. It's, it's what offends, It what repulses people it it pushes them away and it goes back to the very first of this passage where he talks about the cross and we forget that we're so far removed from the cross and sometimes we just need to be reminded 
Uh, how many of you right now, and there's nothing wrong with this, don't be afraid. How, how many of you right now are wearing a cross in some form as jewelry, decoration? So, uh, right now, anybody have a, have a cross on? Uh, earrings, necklace, a ring? Um, yeah, yeah, I see a few scattered around. Of course you do. And, and, and if that's not enough for you, we've got a big brass one hanging behind us. And it's, we're so far removed from why these people are responding this way. I, I don't quite know how to capture it for us. Maybe if one Sunday you came in and we took that cross down and we, and we built an electric chair and we had wires hanging off of it and, and it was hanging there. Maybe, maybe that would get close. Maybe if we handed out to all of you to wear as jewelry some small, a, a, a little, you know, a little gold-plated a tiny little syringe, death by injection. Maybe if we just built a little tiny gas chamber, you know, and we, you see where you go. And, and Paul goes into these cities and he tells them, wait a minute, you're, you're looking for this, you're looking for the God of all creation the wrong way. It starts with Jesus of Nazareth. That's, that's God in the flesh who decided not to give up on us. And, and, and he, he can't just give them the life and the teachings of Jesus. He has to take them to the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus as well. That's the gospel unfiltered and it's ugly and it's brutal and it's despised. And how could anyone who experienced that or represents that or in any way is associated with that, how could that be the way? And we want power. We're attracted to power. Uh, we have trouble giving up power and influence we have to share with those who don't have it. We, we have trouble giving it over to some people that we like or don't like. And, and Paul keeps coming back to this. God's folly, the message of the cross, is, is wiser than humans. And God's weakness... God enfleshed, God dying on a cross is, is stronger than humans. There's this paradox that's there. But he says, when I go into a new city, this is all I have. It's all I have. I, I, can't, make, I, can't, I can't reduce it to a logical process for them. Instead, it's the power of that message that gets them, that connects. And some can't go there. And we even have trouble with it. But for those who do, their life will never quite be the same again. There's something about this God who cares. There's something about this God who loves. There's something about this God who's involved with creation. There's something about this God who knows about their brokenness and their pain and their hurt and who will not be separated from it that grabs them. Do you remember the story of Great Britain's 400-meter runner, Derek Redmond? 1992 Olympics. 
He was determined to finish the race. At the previous Olympics in 1988, just 10 minutes before the start of this 400-meter event, and he's the record holder for his country in Great Britain, 10 minutes before the start, he had to pull out because of an injury. So here he is four years later, Barcelona, making it to the semifinals, and it's time for his semifinal heat. Later, he admitted he wanted to win a medal, and he didn't matter which color it was, and he was determined to be the fastest in this moment, in this heat. And the gun sounded, and he was running great for the first 250 meters, and then it happened, and his right hand string snapped. Let's watch part of it. And he's running well, and he's feeling good. And it happens. And he goes down in pain, and the other runners just keep going. There he is. Another four years of work, another four years of dreams. Few remember that Steve Lewis of the United States won that semifinal. He gets up and he starts again. He later tells us in an interview that he had promised himself and his father that he would finish no matter what. And someone comes out of the stands and starts walking with him. Officials come up, and the man helping him pushes him away. Pushes another official away. He really wants to help. Get away. Redmond tells the press later that that person was the only person who could have helped him because he's the only one who knew what he had been through, and that was his father. when he finally makes it across the line, thousands and thousands of people stand up and applaud. And the word of the cross, you see, is madness to people who are being destroyed. But to us, to those who are being saved, it's, it's the story of God who would not stop who would not be separated, who offers to walk alongside you today, whatever it is that you're facing. 
So in just a moment, our band is coming back and they're going to lead us and we're going to give you a chance. And if you've never invited that kind of God into your life, a God of love and grace, a message of the gospel that, that seems like madness, but there's something about it you can't quite get away from, we give you the chance to invite Christ into your life and to be a part of something that's bigger than you are and stronger than you are um, and that will carry you through wonderful days and really, really tough days. Or maybe you're looking for a group of people that will walk with you and stand with you. It's good to see so many of you back this morning. These people will love you and care for you. Will you please stand as we sing together?